there's all sorts of inquiry that's starting to happen that is long overdue. So at Silo, we're researching and developing next generation psychedelics to be used as mental illness medications of the future. Alrighty guys, greetings and welcome to the fourth episode in season two of Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die. On today's show, we have Joshua Ismin, co-founder and CEO of Silo, a drug development company that's focused on next generation psychedelics. Right now, they're on the front lines of the war on drugs, working to scientifically prove the remarkable benefits of using psychedelics to treat mental illness. Today's conversation is about psychedelics and mental illness, why they matter, if they're safe, and if they're better than the current antidepressants and other drugs. We also have a guest co-host on the show. His name is Argentino Molinuevo, or Tino for short. He's a business development team lead at Athena with a big interest in psychedelics. Maybe a little too big. (laughs) Before we pass these rooms, here's a word from our sponsor. A brilliant startup like yours needs the best of the best on your team. Are you taking advantage of global talent? Level up your team for more success for only 33% of your usual hiring costs. Go to www.athena.io slash rare right now to learn more. That's www.athyna.io slash rare. Um, all right, should we should we dive into it? Let's go. All right. Uh, cool. So, welcome to uh, Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die, a show telling the stories of investors, founders, and operators working to turn the world we live in into a better place. Um, today, we have uh, Joshua Isman on the uh, on the call, and um, Josh, look, super um, excited to talk to you about Silo and your um, and your what you're building there. Um, before we do um before we do dive into the show we actually have a tradition here at um too rare to die where our uh, our legendary co-host Walla will welcome you in with a song that he's prepared uh, especially for you so amazing i'll uh, i'll throw it over to Walla. yeah thanks so let's just send some lyrics for everyone uh let me share some music and we can get to it okay <laughs> Sound like a whole show, show host. Made it very trippy. <laughs> Midnight gospel. <laughs> Love it. From outer space to inner peace. Science fiction on his knee. Everything is made for me. Let go of <laughs> that's uh is that a let me guess um let me guess josh would that be a um a first would that be a first that someone <laughs> sang a song about me giving out mushrooms <laughs> I, probably yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah uh, i would be so interested if it wasn't to be honest that would uh, that would be even more even more amazing um yeah. Good man, Wallo. Good, good intro. Thank you, Wallo. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, Josh. Um, look, um, super interested to to talk to you about the space that you're in. I think it's um, it's incredibly fascinating, exciting, needed. Um, I've been following the space a lot personally. Um, before we do, like jump into all that stuff, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Who is uh, who is Josh, the the man behind um, Silo? 
Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to talk with you guys. And um, yeah, particularly interested, Doc, to hear about uh, your recent visit to LA and, and how that all went. Um, so yeah, I am a founder of Silo. I've been in Australia for about 15 years. So I'm originally from the US, grew up mm -hmm. in New York, was born in the city, raised in the suburbs, but wow. I've been traveling for a good chunk of my life. Um, as I know you guys have, uh, we've got quite an international cohort here on the show today. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've lived in uh, New York, Chicago, St. Louis, Berkeley, wow. California, Kuala Lumpur, Sydney, Australia, and Auckland, New Zealand. I did a year in Auckland. So um, yeah, moved around a bit, uh, traveled quite a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, what are some things that I love? You know, I, I love science. I'm increasingly uh, learning more and more about biotechnology, and I've been sort of investing in biotech for a couple of years now. But um, early in my career, I was sort of in digital media and marketing and that sort of world, and that's how I sort of got started with, with my career, and that's what brought me to Australia originally. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, sounds like you would have had a, a, an amazing amount of experience with some of those places that you've uh, that you've lived. What was living in Auckland like? I love New Zealand. It's one of my... And I know Tino. Um, Tino's actually traveled a bunch in New Zealand. It's one of my... Um, Auckland's okay. Uh, it's one of my favorite favorite countries overall, though. I, I love it. What was it like in New Zealand? What were you doing in your time there? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I built up a company with a co-founder in the 2010 to 2015 period. We got acquired. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. as part of the earnout period, I raised my hand to move to New Zealand to set up an office there. And, you know, part of it was like, okay, this is a market that we haven't explored yet um, with boots on the ground. Part mm -hmm. of it was just that I was really keen to live in New Zealand and, and explore. Um, and yeah, I was there for exactly one year to the day so that I didn't have to file more than one tax return in New Zealand, <laughs> which was Smart. pretty convenient. Um, and I actually had a daughter there, which was fantastic. Wow. Uh, my, my little New Zealand anchor baby. So uh, my, my five-year-old is a New Zealand citizen, which is pretty wow. cool. The only one of our cool. family who is. Um, and... Yeah, it's funny how you say Auckland is okay. I, like one of the things that I distinctly remember about living in Auckland was one time I got into a taxi and, you know, I was talking with the taxi driver who was from abroad about like, you know, thoughts on Auckland. And he basically said, Auckland is like Sydney only not as good in every way. And it's sort of like, you know, like I really yeah. loved Auckland. I met lots yeah. of great people, but ultimately the travel around New Zealand, which was like the really the amazing lot. part, like yeah. Auckland in itself is kind of like Sydney, only, yeah. you know, uh, the beaches aren't as good. The food's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not really Auckland's as good. Auckland's a poor man's, Auckland's a poor man's insert city name. <laughs> basically <laughs> but but it's beautiful yeah it is i had a, a good great year there yeah 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 awesome awesome josh i would um i would actually love to hear from you um about lots of your past experiences and travels and so on and so forth but i i, I also um, i'm so fascinated by the space that you're in so yeah i am keen to just to just dive in so if you want to tell us about you know the problem that you're trying to solve at silo and how you're going about it um yeah that would be that would be epic yeah absolutely so um <laughs> mental illness is the health crisis of our time and currently the solutions that are available are completely inadequate so um in the australian context about one in eight aussies are prescribed antidepressants and only one in nine of the people who are prescribed them actually see uh you know, measurable benefit. So mm -hmm. like, and they haven't been iterated upon in, since they were released in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. But um, psychedelics had all this research conducted on them as treatments for mental illness back in the 50s and 60s, which unfortunately mm -hmm. was kind of swept under the rug with the prohibition in 1970. Mm -hmm. And we're now living through this resurgence where there's this renewed 
um, acceptance of the potential of psychedelics as medicine. And uh, we're, we're living through this sort of scientific renaissance where there's a number 100%. of companies starting to pop up and there's all sorts of inquiry that's starting to happen that is long overdue. So at Silo, we're researching and developing next generation psychedelics to be used mm -hmm. as mental illness medications of the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, can I ask the first question that comes to mind is, <laughs> um, you know, you think people think of psychedelics and they think, whoa, you know, like, you know, acid trips and magic mushrooms and ayahuasca and whatever. And uh, the term um, next generation psychedelics is, is a funny one because it makes you think of like, hmm, I wonder what's after mm -hmm. that. I wonder what's more than more than that. But, but can you tell me, uh, my question, I guess, um, to bring it back to reality is kind of like, why iterating on what ex exists is it from a, a legal perspective is it because you think you can do the science better or like why is it a iterative next generation approach rather than using the psychedelics that we know today yeah so one of the guiding principles of our company is that like first generation psychedelics are great but mm -hmm. they're not ideal. They can be improved upon. So mm -hmm. for example, like, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around um, microdosing as a potential mm -hmm. replacement for sort of SSRI antidepressants. Mm -hmm. One of the issues there is that actually psilocybin is not really um, meant for chronic dosing or like mm -hmm. taking on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it's it's a pretty safe drug in, in general. Like I, uh -huh. I don't want to sort of, you know, um, make an assertion that it's an unsafe drug, but for taking regularly, it actually has a heart liability. So it targets a receptor in the brain called the 5-HT2B receptor, which is actually a mm -hmm. uh, liability in terms of uh, valvulopathy. So mm -hmm. like these are things that using medicinal chemistry, we can actually optimize out. So mm -hmm. our, mm -hmm. our company is sort of looking at the um, blueprints that first generation psychedelics have provided and trying mm -hmm. to iterate upon those to develop medicines, which, um, you know, we can sort of adjust for some of the potential risks and shortcomings of mm. naturally occurring or first generation psychedelics. Another example is um, psilocybin, a, a trip lasts for six to eight hours in duration. Yeah which, you know, for some people that's, that's fine in terms of, you know, the, the application for that is psychedelic assisted therapy. The challenge is resourcing that. So, you know, yeah. you need to have for clinical trials, they've got one to two clinicians sitting alongside a patient for an entire day, right? Mm -hmm. The, the applicability of that in terms of, you know, a broad audience is just severely hampered by resourcing yeah. with clinicians, right? Yeah. There was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald um, late last year about how we have a huge shortage of clinicians as it stands. Like actually mm -hmm. seeing a psychiatrist, you could be waiting six months to yeah. get on their short list. So, you know, one of the things we're developing is a shorter acting version of psilocybin, for example. So you could, um, you know, ideally maintain the therapeutic benefit of a psychedelic trip, but have the trip last for, you know, one to three hours in duration. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in that way, you could potentially be dosing two to three people in a day um, with the yeah. same amount of resources. Yeah. I feel like another uh, interesting point there is probably cost to, um, to, to people to be able to afford a, a treatment like that, because obviously spending eight hours with a with a with a therapist or two therapists is going to be a lot more expensive um, than you know one to two or three hours, like you say. Um, so yeah, I I, totally I, I, yeah. I totally I totally get it. Um, with everything that you're doing, so um, I actually have followed really closely this movement for maybe five years, for the best part of five years, and and have you know read books and listened to podcasts and so on and so forth. And it all goes back to obviously you know the 1970s with Richard Nixon and. Um, what's the other uh, Timothy Leary you know Timothy Leary and the, the war on drugs and, and, and so on and so forth but up until all of the research was um, put to bed I guess and swept under the under the rug as you mentioned were people building um, new psychedelics next generation psychedelics and, and, and are you kind of building upon previous work or was most of the work done around 
again, just just testing um, and trialing those that we know. Are you, are you building upon previous work or? Absolutely building on previous work. I mean, we're standing mm -hmm. on the shoulders of giants. Um, mm -hmm. You know, LSD in itself is kind of an iterative next generation psychedelic in that it's derived from ergot fungus so mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know this this whole process it's on a continuum but um you know like in the 50s and 60s it was predominantly focused on uh you know mescaline lsd and psilocybin and then mm -hmm. in the intervening period it was it was kind of like career suicide as a scientist to pursue psychedelics as a research area of focus, right? Like, yeah. you know, there, the funding dried up, um, but there were a few who continued to do that research. And, you know, one of them is is a hero for our team, Alexander Shulgin. This is a mm -hmm. former Dow chemical employee who um, basically, you know, ended up setting up his own lab in uh, the East Bay in San Francisco and would um, explore the SAR um, of various different chemical entities uh, and actually was super brave to try a number of them out on himself <laughs> and and kind of like increase the dose over time. So like <laughs> his book to Cal, which is mm -hmm. um, tryptamines I have known and loved is sort of like mm -hmm. for our space for um, psychedelic science, it's kind of like a Bible, you know, like wow. he, he's sort of one of the folks that we constantly refer to and look back upon, but there, there are others as well. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. we're, and also for what we're doing, because it's next generation psychedelics, there's a whole lot of clinical trials that are happening right now with first generation psychedelics. Yeah. And we're informed by the learnings that are coming out of that research as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. There, there is a benefit to the fact that like, you know, psychedelics weren't just discovered yesterday. Like we, we yeah. have virtual models in software of the receptors in the brain in question already. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's been some, some work on this extensive work in this area to help yeah. inform our research. Mm. And where would you say the, um, I guess the renewed vigor, you know, it's been maybe 10 or 15 years. It seems to me, 10 years ago, this whole um, industry or field kind of exploded again. This is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in it. You can tell me better than, you can explain better than I could. But it seems to me like five years ago, I started getting really interested in it. It seems like it was maybe 10 years. But there was, there was a, a tipping point where it went from everything, there was no funding, there was no movement. And then all of a sudden, this kind of like, this, there was a bit of an explosion, it seems like. What, what happened there? Like, Why? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think it's a number of things coming together, right? So one thing is just like frustration with the lack of solutions. If, mm -hmm. if you know anyone who's suffered from severe mental illness, like they'll try anything, right? And, 100%. and like that, that's one of the reasons why um, the potential of psychedelics has gotten a lot of focus. I think also like the cannabis movement has kind of, you know, mm -hmm. destigmatized natural products in general. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's sort of, you know, and, and the fact that like there's commercial opportunities in cannabis, I think that sort of, um, you know, opened the door. Uh, but like in the last couple of years, there's a couple of things that can, that have happened to kind of accelerate this. Um, Michael Pollan's book, how to change yeah. your mind, like really brought it. this into the pop, the sort of public consciousness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his, he was uh, the perfect book... person to write that book as well. Oh you know? yeah. He wasn't, he's not a Timothy Leary, like, you know, screaming from the rafters. Um, but he's a, he's a, he's a middle-aged scientist who knew yep. that the data said there was something here and, and you know, he was going to go and explore that. He was, I feel like he was the, the exact right person at the exact right time to, 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 um, to write that book. Couldn't agree more. And like, I just find him so convincing. His book, Omnivore's Dilemma, made me a vegetarian uh, wow. in, you know, 2008 or so. And um, his, his 
more recent books have really brought psychedelics and their potential therapeutic benefit into the popular popular consciousness in a big way. And the last mm -hmm. thing I would call out is COVID. I mean, you know, COVID and actually Trump have really just mm -hmm. like all our cards are on the table as <laughs> as humanity. It's just like whatever yeah. you thought was true and reality and like these are our options yeah. are completely, yeah. you know, throw that out the window and it's like if you thought let's we were at rock bottom. Over. Yeah. <laughs> if you thought well, we were rock bottom. Yeah, yeah that's it. It's no, it's just like, sense. you know, like let's let's consider all the various options like you know and and psychedelics are one of them so i think mm. you know and covid just like that's hugely exacerbated mental illness yeah. um and and uh that's that's created that's made a horrible problem an even worse problem that is more urgent for us to try mm. and solve mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so i have a little bit of experience um with uh, psychedelic assisted therapy, um, with microdosing and macrodosing on my own and my own experience with 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 psilocybin, I did uh, um, yeah psychedelic assisted therapy um, formally in in Los Angeles just last month. Um, and, but what I want to um, hear from you, Josh, is is kind of you know why it, it may work. And I, and I have a funny thing that um that uh, that comes to mind when when I very first. Um, was wanting to explore psychedelics myself. It was purely for mental health reasons. Um, I took a lot of party drugs when I was younger and, you know, drank like a young person drinks and, and enjoyed myself and what have you. But I'd never taken mushrooms. I never took acid. I just, for whatever reason, I just never did. Um, and then when I was about 30, 31, I'm 36 now. Um, it was probably four or five years ago. I decided to start uh, experimenting, I guess you would call it myself. Um, and the plan was um, to have my friend uh, Tommy Sirikowski, his name is. He'll he'll love this shout out. Actually, he's a bit of a psychonaut, I guess you would call it himself, um, and a guy that I've, I trust and I've known since I was fourteen years old. And and um, we've drank beers together when we were, when we were kids. We've taken party drugs together when we were kids. And he was going to spot me uh, for my first psychedelic experience, and and I was really uh, kind of like anxious and and excited and and getting prepared and so on and so forth. it was a friday friday afternoon and then he messaged me on um he messaged me on friday uh friday afternoon late friday afternoon and he said hey mate i've been called into dinner with my um my girlfriend's parents can't make it the mushrooms are in the letterbox here's my address you'll be right <laughs> and, um, okay. and i was like what okay so so i end up this is not the story i I took the mushrooms. I had the greatest experience of my life. It was really, really profound, whatever. It was, it was awesome. But the funny thing was, and I shouldn't have done it myself. I, I know that now. It wasn't the best way to go about it. But because I was preparing to do it myself, I said to uh, my mate, Tommy, I said, hey, like, what should I expect? You know, in the experience, and I gave him a quick call. What should I expect? And, and I really want to know, like, how will I feel tomorrow? Like, what, what will the experience be? Will I be hungover? Will I be coming down? Because they're the, they're the two terms that you associate with drinking and and taking drugs you drink beers or you get drunk you know you'll have a hangover you take party drugs you know you'll come down and my mate uh tommy he literally threw his head back in laughter and said oh mate you'll uh what did he say he said you'll feel like your brain has had a massage <laughs> and i said what and he said he said no 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 it's the afterglow effect you know the equivalent of taking psychedelics the hangover and the the, the come down is what we call the afterglow effect and i have felt the afterglow effect and i know that this is part of you know the therapy and the treatment but that's my crappy anecdote what is the afterglow effect what actually happens when you're when you're your when you your brain is on psychedelics how does it actually benefit and you can talk from the science perspective you can talk from the the, the, the somewhat grayer mysticism side of things but yeah what actually happens yeah so as a non-scientist I'll give you my best explanation. And um, also just a side note that like our core team are medicinal chemists and we're bringing in advisors who are pharmacologists who have more of an understanding of the biology of what's happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. Like we're really focused on the design and like designing towards 
indications and uh, effects in the brain, obviously. But like mm -hmm. as the non-scientist, it all comes down to this sort of like, I consider it a defrag. Like if, mm -hmm. if you ever had a PC back in the day and it would start to run slow and you run that defragmentation of the hard drive and it sort of reorganizes <laughs> all the files and makes them easier to access, that's mm -hmm. the sort of process that's happening in a brain on a heavy dose of psychedelics. So mm -hmm. there's there's a couple of things that are happening there, but like the main thing is sort of this neurogenesis, like um, mm -hmm. depression and just regular life, like causes strain on the cells of your brain and mm -hmm. it actually causes them to atrophy. And so mm -hmm. what psychedelics do are first thing, they sort of mute this part of your brain called the default mode network, which is where yeah. your ego is said to reside. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it sort of says like, okay, this whole notion of me as a self and my whole internal narrative about, you know, this is who I used to be. This is who I want to be. This is like mm -hmm. where I'm headed, you know, time mm -hmm. travel and, uh, you know, like um, for people who are suffering from mental illness, like this is my personality. I drink alcohol every day and that's just who I am and that's what I need to do in order to you know be myself uh -huh. that part of your brain is kind of like muted or entirely kind of shut down yeah. um, depending on the dose right so what that leads to is sort of this feeling of connectivity to nature and other people in the universe so that's sort of that effect while you're actually on the substance and um you know what that leads to is an immense sense of gratitude of just you know happiness for being alive all of those things but in terms of the afterglow like muting that part of the brain allows for parts of the brain that are not normally in contact to actually mm -hmm. communicate with each other and mm -hmm. for sort of yeah like cells in your brain that are actually atrophying to sort of regrow and so mm -hmm you know, the after effect is that you, you feel like this, um, you know, I've experienced this intense sense of focus and sort of conviction. Mm -hmm. And a lot mm -hmm. of this comes down to the setting and the, and the set going into it. So uh -huh. like, uh -huh. you know, I, I like it when you were explaining that you thought a lot about the experience before going into it mm -hmm. and you had mm -hmm. the intention. I don't mm -hmm. like the fact that you didn't have a professional with you <laughs> yeah, at yeah, the yeah. time. Um, the real cowboy but, approach. Don't yeah, worry about. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that sort of, it, you know, increased connectivity and neurogenesis that's happening in the brain is, you know, what I would say is attributing to that sense of afterglow that you described. Mm. Yeah. Hey, 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 let me tell you something interesting about hiring. Right now, it sucks. It's hard. It's also expensive, but it doesn't have to be. If you hire remotely with Athena, you'll skip the hurdles of having spectacular people on your team. And no, you'll pay far less than you think. We save businesses like yours up to 70% of typical hiring costs. That's up to 80 grand per account executive person per year. You could use that leftover cashola to scale. What are you waiting for? Head over to www.athena.io slash rare to learn more. That's www.athyma.io slash R-A-R-E. I, um, like I said, I've, um, I spent a bit of time microdosing myself. And then, like I said, I probably had 10 to 15 macro experiences like on um, psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Um, and I always felt an increased, or not an increased, just like a hyper sense of... Um, yeah, focus, I feel like focus and, and clarity the next day. Clarity as to, you know, who I was, what I wanted to do, you know, that things are okay. And, and, and yeah, like a, the feeling of a real weight lifting off your shoulders. And, I, and when I actually, because that experience, the afterglow effect, you know, people probably think of that as the mysticism part of, you know, the, the experience of being one with nature, you know, feeling that, ego death a term that people often use you know but the fact that you can look at somebody's brain and explain it through science hey this is exactly what's happening and this is why you feel the way you feel and what and why you feel that, that way the next day i feel like it's the perfect blend of uh you know 
the mysticism with the, the science. And that's what really kind of drew me to psychedelics was I'd always thought ayahuasca was interesting and, and, and so on and so forth. You hear great stories about people having realizations and changing their lives and, you know, depression, anxiety withering away from, from ayahuasca. But I never really saw like the science behind that side of it. And I'm a really kind of data-driven like kind of guy. Um, so that for me, the default mode network stuff was was fascinating especially because i could feel it myself you know i could definitely abs like i could feel it very clearly uh the yeah. next day and, and, and just, one one really interesting thing about that is like you know there's kind of something of a debate in this space around like okay that sort of altered consciousness that a person who's on psychedelics experiences like is it real or is it chemical? You know, like, yeah. are you actually, you know, if you take DMT and you go and meet, you know, uh, autonomous machine elves and, you know, like whatever, like, is that another sort of plateau of consciousness mm -hmm. that I'm able mm -hmm. to access? Or is it just like, this is something that's happening in my brain due to chemical changes, et cetera. Um, and like my thoughts on that are, it doesn't really matter if the effect mm. is real. Like if, if afterwards you have a positive afterglow and there's potential medical applications where people can be cured from it, who cares if it's real and you know, there's some other universe that you're able to communicate with, or it's just mm. in your head. It's like, mm. it's, it's actually just the results that matter. And Josh, mm. you said that Doc should have been assisted by someone. And that is because the trip um, I mean, the, um, the main point of being assisted is because the trip needs to be like guided or just in case anything happens or if there is like a bad reaction or, or how's the trip itself? Yeah, so generally, and I'm not a therapist either, but like, you know, following this space, generally my understanding of the protocol is the clinician is more of a guide than you know, a driver. Uh, so they're not actually guiding the experience and, you know, saying, you know, talk to me mm -hmm. about what you're seeing. Like, they're more just like there as a, you know, support animal, right? Like they're holding your hand if you want to hold hands. But like most of the experience uh, for the clinical trials that are happening right now for macro dosing applications are, you know, you're in a bed wearing nightshades and a, a clinician or two clinicians are there supervising you to make sure you're okay, to provide comfort if you need comfort. You know, you need to go to the bathroom. Okay, I will chaperone you to the bathroom, like yeah. that kind of thing. So it's, I think it's more just a, a like for someone who's going through this heavily, you know, invasive, if you want to call that. If, if you want to call it that experience, it's more about, you know, being there to support the experience as opposed to, you know, pointing it in particular directions or anything like that. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly how my experience was at <clears throat> Field Trip Health in <clears throat> Los Angeles. So that was a, a month ago. And, <clears throat> and the set and setting thing, I mean, I've had a f handful of experiences that were, you know, it's it's probably best to not call them bad trips, you know, because really they're just they're just genuinely difficult experiences. Um, but I mean, the I feel like you get the most from the experience when you have a, a a pleasant experience or when you feel very secure in in where you are and who you're with and so on and so forth. So, so when I did um, my ketamine uh, ketamine therapy in in Los Angeles, how it worked was. Um, we had two clinicians, like you said, Josh, and one was the, the medical doctor who would inject the um, ketamine directly into my, into my arm. Um, and one was the therapist who would be my, my therapist, basically. Um, and it was in, an incredible experience. The two women that, that worked with me, Simone and Monica, were, I mean, they were just like my rocks, you know? Like, I felt like I was in good hands. I was in a, a safe place, you know, because... Um, uh, throughout my experience, I had a couple of doses of like 100 milligrams of, of ketamine, um, which is like a reasonable dose. And you have you have periods where reality is obliterated, you know? 
and it's it's often not a not a not a fun place to to be um but i always knew well for the most part i knew simona's with me i'm here in in uh i'm here in the, the united states i'm i'm in a safe space this is just a, a an experience that's going to be and look i don't know what um the the science says about whether it would be a beneficial experience or not if it is a difficult experience but the the set and the setting for me just made me um you know i was able to set my intention for the experience and and kind of have a an enjoyable pleasant sometimes difficult but a, the experience that i wanted to have rather than be on a wild roller coaster on my own which i've done that as well you know and it's it's very not painful but it's like whew, super super difficult so that's exactly how it works like you said like two two clinicians um and uh, i mean they just give you the safe space to 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 have the experience that you need i guess and these are all terms that you know they say they sound a bit wishy-washy and 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 so on and so forth but it, it it's pretty it can be full on you know it can be it can be very full on and yeah without someone as your as your guide it's like whew, yeah, particularly if you're going into the experience, um, you know, damaged. Like if if you're if you're in a great place and you go into that experience and maybe you don't have a guide or whatever. Like, you know, it could be challenging. It could be fun. You're probably fine. But like for an application as a as a therapy as a treatment, you know, it's it's super important. Mm. Um, so Josh, with the experience, obviously there's the, the effect, uh, on the default mode network and, and the quelling of the, you know, thoughts of anxiety and depression and the self-biographical stories we tell ourselves, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if you can talk to this or not. Um, but when I was, um, doing the ketamine therapy, we had an integration session the next day. So, so yeah. how it would work is, um, yeah, I would go and do, I'd like a, they have a morning and an afternoon session. So you have all the time in the world. Basically, I would go and sit down with Simone. Hey, doing Simone? Yeah, what's going on? You know, chat for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. Set the intention, chat with Monica. She would come in, get me all comfortable and rugged up. It was very, I got a weighted blanket and the most comfiest chair you've ever, ever imagined. Uh, administer the, the, the ketamine, have the experience, bit of a ra- uh, wrap up at the end and, and then you leave. But the next day, the next day you would have just what I would call just a regular therapy uh therapy session for just 60 minutes but from my understanding and i don't i don't know how this works really and i'm interested to hear your thoughts um particularly with my experience there was always talk of like the next day that uh, there's a 24 to 48 hour window of neuroplasticity in the brain this is what i kept hearing mm-hmm. you know you're able to think new thoughts create new 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 patterns in your mind but i don't really i mean that's about as much as i can say to it or explain of it so is that is that correct can you like elaborate on that or add anything there yeah i mean i'm probably not the best person to speak to Uh neuroplasticity but like Uh that encompasses what i was discussing before about parts of your brain being in contact Mm -hmm. that aren't usually Mm -hmm. in contact and sort of like the rejuvenation of cells Mm -hmm. that are um undergoing trauma Mm -hmm. um so yeah i guess like from what I've read and understand about this, the therapy sessions afterwards for integration are quite critical to the sustained sort of, um, you know, impact. Um, Ketamine specifically, uh, like SSRI antidepressants, actually, they do create this neurogenetic effect um, Mm -hmm. and they're quite rapid. So one of the reasons why ketamine is really attractive as a therapy is that like it, it has an immediate impact in terms of yeah. um, treating depression and anxiety. One of the shortcomings of ketamine is that actually those effects are not sustained as much as um, the, the other psychedelics that we've spoken about psilocybin lst mm-hmm. etc so you know it it has uh trade-offs in relative to other psychedelics yeah mm-hmm. yeah the acute effect is quite quite um quite unbelievable i um i had <clears throat> some days I think twice i did six sessions um 
and I think twice I went in there. I have this uh, thing that goes on where I kind of go numb and limp nearly, you would call it, when I like something, when I'm when I'm super depressed and something doesn't go my way or just, you know, something stresses me out, I'll, I'll kind of shut off. And, and it's really, I'm, I'm probably like 99 and one in, in the times that I've been able to push through consciously and say, hey, you know, just get up, go for a walk, do that thing, go out and see your friends, whatever. And I'm like 99, I've not been able to push through. And the one time I can remember very clearly that I did and, and, and it worked out. But I went into these, uh, I went into two of these experiences where, I mean, we were traveling, moving abroad really from Melbourne to um, Argentina and all these things were getting in the way. And I was already not in a great headspace with this depression, anxiety I've been battling with. And I walked into the therapy in a state nearly like that, like I had to scrape myself and, and with my partner's help to get to the session and sat with Simone, who I, you know, I was very comfortable with Simone, um, you know, but I still cared about what she thought about me. Like, I, but I, I was a shell. I had my shoulders hunched, not looking her in the eyes, like one word answers. I was terrible. And I had this experience um, where it was such a powerful experience and self-affirming and just that, that, every, that where everything is at, we're all a team. It was kind of the, the, the vibe of the experience. This is when I was under, when I was, had the ketamine um, therapy. But then as soon as I opened my eyes and came back to, I walked out of there with my shoulders back, you know, chin held high. It was, it was immediate, very acute and lasted for a, for a week or two weeks or whatever. It was quite astonishing really um, what, what the experience is like. That's amazing. I'm glad that you were able to get you know, a lot of benefit out of that and, and that that's available now, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, um, so look, why is there still, um, this stigma with, with psychedelics, Josh? And, and, and when can we break it? What is, what are the steps that need to happen for this to be widely accepted? You know, what is the, what is the data telling us? What's the fight like in terms of the stigma, the laws, the, the battle to, to make this more widespread? Yeah, so, um, yeah. so right now, according to the U.S. government, according to the Australian government, um, psilocybin, MDMA, like a lot of these substances are scheduled drugs that are seen to have no medical benefit whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the TGA here in Australia recently was lobbied to consider rescheduling they denied that request they were you know that decision was appealed they you know convened an expert panel uh to review all of the clinical evidence that's out there and then they denied it again and (laughs) like that's altogether not all that surprising right like Mm -hmm, disappointing mm -hmm. but not surprising um and i guess like you know you can't expect that a regulatory body is going to say something should be more available until it's actually approved as medicine so Mm -hmm. that's what needs to happen so mm-hmm. there are clinical trials happening right now with a view towards making psilocybin and MDMA um, approved medicines in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, MDMA should actually be an approved medicine, uh, if not this year, then next year. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's imminent. Uh, mm-hmm. And MAPS has been on that for 20 years. So they've been, you know, you talk about standing on the shoulders of giants rick doblin and maps have been advocating for this at a grassroots level you know since the early 80s and so Mm -hmm. that's going to get over the finish line and then you know the the um dea in the us and the tga here like we'll have no choice but to down schedule if the fda says look this is an approved drug how are you going to say something has no medical benefit when another part of the government is saying that this is an approved drug right now mm-hmm. so that's what needs to happen is ultimately mm-hmm. we we need to get these through as approved medicines the other angle so that's kind of one direction that uh this is moving the other direction is sort of more of like a 
you know, a, a grassroots push to um, decriminalize plant-based medicines. And, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's a number of, uh, you know, initiatives for that to happen that um, that's been approved in a, a number of places in the U S um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's great, but ultimately I, I think that that's going to be a, a long slog and it's subject to the whims of the day. Like, I think the best path for getting these drugs to be available to people who need them is the medical path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with decriminalization, do you think, um, should that, say, for example, we fast forward 10 years and um, all plant-based drugs are decriminalized or legal for that matter, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I know there is a difference between decriminalized and, and legal, but um, do you think that that would be more just recreational use? And and is there any like is there any risks with decriminalizing these drugs? Because like you say, it's so important that you have a good set and setting to get a, a good result from a, a true mental health benefit. Is there like if you could wave a magic wand and legalize everything or decriminalize everything? You know, would it be beneficial? Is that what would would help everything um, move in the right direction or are there problems there? Oh, there's definitely problems there. And I think like no one is really suggesting uh, with a straight face that psychedelics should just be available to anyone who wants them at any time. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, like ultimately I think that this is something that requires some level of supervision or authority. You know, it's like, anything that's dangerous you know you just need to regulate it and make it available mm -hmm. and you know turn it into a market so that there's oversight into it and mm -hmm. there you know there's um no bad actors that are taking advantage of a fad etc this is something that i am quite you know concerned about overall for our industry is that we don't learn the lessons of the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. um you know mm -hmm. timothy leary was great for getting the word out that psychedelics are are you know this potential amazing tool but mm -hmm. you know look at what happened as a result <laughs> yeah. um so yeah. uh, he cost he cost you 50 years yeah no i i would yeah. have loved yeah. to be alive during that period but uh yeah, yeah. yeah like growing up as a as a child of um, the 90s of of uh, prohibition and just say no and you know just mm -hmm. like mass incarceration and all of the negative effects of the war on drugs mm -hmm. i am quite hesitant to say that we should just like make these drugs legal and available everywhere um mm -hmm. you know i'm all for harm reduction but again i think the medical path is the best way to slowly incrementally scientifically get medicine to people who need it it's a slow mm -hmm. process and that's frustrating at times but at the end mm -hmm. of the day i think you know will will be better for it like that's the way mm -hmm. to move things through um at a governmental level right like mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. if these are approved medicines then you know there there's not going to be a moral panic around you going to a field trip and having a psilocybin experience right yeah absolutely absolutely um so with silo josh like what is um for you to be successful um, what is what is the business model? Like, tell us about you know the traction and like if you think of it as a as a startup, you know I don't know how you guys make money. What the traction is like? Like tell us about the business side of of Silo and and um, where you guys are at. Yeah, sure. So um, in the sort of psychedelics arena, um, a lot of money has flowed into this space. I'd say eighty percent of it is going towards clinical trials of first generation psychedelics right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. guys like field trip or mind med or compass mm -hmm. pathways like these guys mm -hmm. are trying to take formulations of psilocybin or pro drugs which are kind of like you know something that gets metabolized into the active um drug they're they're trying to take those sort of products and push them through the regulatory pathway to get them approved as medicines we're part of a smaller cohort but a growing cohort cohort of biotech companies that are actually you know 
taking a traditional drug development approach towards psychedelics. So, you know, mm -hmm. for us, it's about building a pipeline of novel molecules that we then run through a screening cascade to determine their safety and efficacy, you know, first in vitro, in cellular models, and then mm -hmm. in animals. Um, and mm -hmm. then ultimately going into inhuman trials. So like mm -hmm. we're a bit sort of earlier stage than a lot of those companies that I mentioned before in that we're sort of starting at the beginning. And mm -hmm. like in terms of revenue mod models, like basically the model for us is we're an R&D company. We're not a mm -hmm. commercial company at this stage. Mm -hmm. Our plan mm -hmm. is, you know, build out our library of novel molecules. We've already designed um, using sort of iterative approaches on existing um, psychedelic molecules. We've uh, discovered over a hundred novel molecules, which we've organized into families and are filing patents on and running through the screening wow. cascade. And then we're also applying virtual screening approaches, which is using artificial intelligence to discover new psychedelics that have never existed before. Um, and so we're applying both of these approaches to build out a pipeline, run them through the screening cascade with the ultimate goal of, um, you know, entering into clinical trials. And at that point, mm. you're either licensing compounds to pharmaceutical companies or, you know, um, funding clinical trials yourself, which are hugely mm. expensive or, mm -hmm. you know, getting acquired. So that's that's really mm. the, the path for us one of those three wow that's absolutely fascinating um i love talking to entrepreneurs who um i don't i feel like the term inventor i've mentioned this before on the show i feel like the term inventor doesn't get thrown around enough um in in 2022 and 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 today you know what you're describing to me now is you know what what people used to call inventors you know you're an inventor um mm -hmm. inventing the future you know and and um and I wish you the best of luck. I hope I hope you have so much success. It's so so exciting. Um, just with the one 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 other quick question, just on the um, business model side of things. So, do you get funding from like places outside of the commercial space, like the like venture cap? Do you get do you get research funding and so on and so? Like, how do you how do you and and also how does the next steps to continue being funded? Like how do you show success? I know you said you've got patents and you've got lots of different molecules that you've discovered and so on and so. Like how do you keep, you know, going down the the road of growing this thing, um, yep. considering it's R and D. Yeah. So, uh, really good question. And um, yeah, I guess with biotech businesses, like I had some familiar with this going into it understanding how do you communicate with investors progress when it's not mm -hmm. revenue it's not you know yeah. uh widgets shipped etc it's hitting milestones in terms of development and uh it's all in the data right like mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. that we're doing is producing data that we're visualizing and we're going to be able to report back in the future and like you know the screening cascade early on is fairly kind of generic in terms of drug development and so you've you've sort of followed this pathway and then um the decisions you make later are highly interpretive and that's based on what are the clinical indications that we're seeing um, from trials that are happening right now. There's this whole really exciting field that's starting to bubble up around um, psychoplastogens, so non-psychedelic psychedelics. And you know, yeah. we can we can talk a little bit about that, but like, you know, at this time we're sort of like designing towards that end goal, but mm -hmm. ultimately mm -hmm. informed by emerging data that's coming out by other players in the space and by additional research that we do later on. Um, but to answer your question around funding, yeah, one of the great things about um, basing ourselves here in Australia is that you know, there's huge R&D tax benefits to uh, building yeah. out a lab here and actually mm -hmm. conducting this research here. So mm -hmm. of every dollar we spend on research um, that is occurring locally, we get nearly half a dollar back. So it's 43 40, and a half. 43 cents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's crazy, so, isn't it? 
it's yeah. huge. I mean, it is yeah, huge. So like, that's a real benefit to being based here. And there's a number of sort of grants and collaborative opportunities. We um, applied for and got approved for a grant in conjunction with UNSW. We're working on several collaborations with government institutions like CSIRO and ANSTO. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a number of opportunities to get non-dilutive funding when you're doing mm -hmm. research commercialization. And uh, yeah, one of the great things that I, I'm, I'm really lucky that my wife runs a research commercialization center at Sydney University because, you know, she's she's been a huge help in terms of navigating that world. And uh, she's actually how I met my co-founder, our chief scientific officer, um, who he he's the real inventor right like i'm the scientist gotcha. whisperer uh gotcha. he he's he's the one who is you know at two in the morning designing the he's the, the steve wozniak that's it yeah that's it <laughs> yeah everyone needs a steve wozniak that's all right nothing wrong with that um no worries um just uh we're gonna throw it over to wallet um with a few rapid fire questions in a moment i have one final question josh from my end um what would you like to see for silo and or the uh, psychedelic assisted therapy or, um, industry in five, 10 years time? Like what is the, what would you love to see in the future? What are you, what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah. I mean, in five years, psilocybin will be an approved drug. Uh, um, MDMA will be an approved drug and lots of people are going to get immediate benefit from that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, like for our industry overall, I'm hoping that sort of the the notion of this psychoplastogen idea has been sort of adequately proven or disproven. I'm mm -hmm. kind of agnostic on that idea. Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. there are initial sort of uh, preclinical models that suggest that it may be possible. Um, I I hope that it is because the more solutions that we can design the better but um yeah i mean i'm i'm hoping that we're a lot i i know that we will be a lot further along um us and and other players in the space and discovering whether that actually is possible um mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of debate right now as to you know is the psychic is is the hallucinatory experience sort of critical if if you're able to show that those that connectivity um you know neurogenesis neuroplasticity uh -huh. is possible without having hallucinations you know uh will it have the same therapeutic effect don't know mm. um yeah. it, it's entirely new area of study um mm -hmm. but you know if if that proves to be true it'll mean potential solutions for many people who would otherwise not be willing to go through a psychedelic experience. So I think that 100%. would be an incredible finding. Um, yeah, I think like, I, I think that's it. I also, I just hope that, you know, we learn from the lessons of the fifties and sixties and don't mm -hmm. kind of get ahead of ourselves and also learn from the, the, cannabis industry which kind of like mm -hmm. you know went through a crazy hype cycle and um you know i, I don't really i don't stay close to that industry i mean a number of people who are in psychedelics now came from the cannabis world um mm -hmm. and uh i just hope that you know in addition to not getting carried away with the you know the promise of psychedelics is you know this is not a panacea also i hope that commercially you know things don't get carried away and uh that discredits the whole sector kind of thing um yeah. you know i've seen a number of packs come across my desk in the last six months and people trying to raise money against a, a psychedelic thing that is like mm -hmm. there is no plan it's basically like we're gonna launch yeah. a company and go live on the asx and um you know do something mm -hmm. that is we can call psychedelic um mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i i just hope the industry you know the the commercial side doesn't cloud the science and the advances in the science yeah yeah awesome uh over to you wallow okay uh so, Josh, what is your all-time favorite book? 
my all-time favorite book oh god i mean god if i had to like really name an all-time favorite book i think it would have to be like catcher in the rye because i've read that you know maybe 10 12 times uh in my Whoa. in my childhood Super that's fun. that's probably quite a weird one Maybe like a more recent one would be like my my favorite author, I would say, is Haruki Murakami, uh, who's a Japanese author that's written a number of sort of like, um, yeah, I mean, science fiction e-books, um, a wind up bird chronicle and like Kafka on the shore and like almost all of his books are are really amazing. It sounds um, very interesting. Very yeah, I, I, if if you were to start with Murakami, I'd say a wind up bird chronicle would be my favorite. Okay, thanks. My next question is: What is one tool you can't live without? One tool yeah. I can't live without. Oh God. Um, okay, so this is a bit of a weird one. Uh, I I swim every day. Yeah. I'm an obsessed swimmer. Like um, I kind of describe myself as a dog that needs to be walked every day. Uh, and, and it just happens to be walked through water. And so the tool is actually a snorkel, the front snorkel, yeah. like the lap swimming snorkel. Um, this is a lot more accepted now, but when I started wearing it, I used to have all these neck issues. And, and so I tried it and everyone would look at me in the pool or, you know, in the ocean, just be like, what is this guy doing wearing a snorkel on his face? And he's swimming laps. But uh, yeah, honestly, like I have one on me at all times. It's like, you know, I can't live without it. That's cool. Uh, my final question, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs in the psych R&D space? In, in the psychedelic R&D yep. space? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think my main advice would be, um, you know, this is such an exciting space. Research in this area is emerging. There are careers bubbling up left and right here. And so like broadly to anyone who's doing research into this world from academia or otherwise, yeah. I would say like, you know, come and join us, right? Like there's a number of cool opportunities in the psychedelics arena to really have a huge impact. And that's so exciting to me. Um, for, for entrepreneurs in this world, I mean, you know, this, this space is just so promising. There's capital available. Um, there, all, all the institutions that we've talked to are so excited to collaborate with us and work with us. I, I just can't imagine another area of study that is uh, as exciting as this one. But yeah, Josh, do you think this do you think this has the potential to become like an an ongoing therapy instead of something like I don't know, doc made five or six sessions? Uh, but do you think uh, this like well handled and well managed could become something that people may do i don't know once a month or whatever the the, um, the basis is but something like more similar to a regular therapy yeah so absolutely uh the two ways of thinking about this in in medical terms are acute dosing or micro dosing so acute dosing is like what doc described for um his experience it's like you know you're feeling depressed you take a medication you go through this experience you come out feeling better chronic dosing is like you know antidepressant you take every day kind of thing or micro dosing is sort of a, a, a adjusted means of chronic dosing um, and yeah, we're, we're designing for both applications. So I, I think there is room for both and it really depends on what the clinical evidence suggests is the most effective. Um, yeah, look, Josh, that's a super interesting story. And, and like I said, um, yeah, you and your team and, and people like you are really, truly the people that are, you know, trying to shape the future that we're all going to live in. And it's, um, yeah, it's super super awesome stuff um where can people find out more about you more about silo if they want to follow follow the journey follow along get in touch where can where can people find you 
Yeah, absolutely. Our website is silo.bio, spelled P-S-Y-L-O. Got the logo right there <laughs> on the video awesome. for those who want to check it out. Um, yeah, so on our website, uh, you can check us out on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, we're, we're trying to get more vocal, get out there, push content out. Um, but on our website, we just started a psychedelic science newsletter. So if you if you sign up on the website, then you can track progress more broadly across the space as well as what we're working on at Silo. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, mate. Well, um, like I said, yeah, it's super awesome to talk to you. Um, and that's pretty much it from our end. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry for the fire alarm drill. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Happens uh, to the best of us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Good to meet you cool, all. Cool, Josh. Thanks, mate. And uh, that's a wrap. And that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed all the drug nerdiness. Thanks for listening and a trippy thanks to Joshua Isman for joining us on the show. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us by sharing your favorite episodes and subscribing on our YouTube, listening on Spotify and every podcast platform available on the bloody planet. Two Way to Live, Too Rare to Die is supported by Athena, co-produced by Matthias Rosenberg and Celeste Bono, creative direction by Josefina Cordova and hosted by Bill Kerr and me, Walu Olakpoju. Have a great one, peeps. So you just got funding and you're excited to grow. You're going to need people, great people, but not so fast. Finding them will be very difficult. Hiring them will be pretty costly and paying them will be your biggest expense. After all, a strong team will build an epic business. Yep. But what if I told you you can save two thirds of those hiring costs by employing global staff? Think of all that runway money you can save. We'll find the talent you're looking for and hire them too. Go to www.athena.io slash rare right now to learn more. That's www.athyna.io slash rare right now.